I'm, I know very little about you. We have awkwardly <laughs> stared at each other for the last eight minutes. It's everything about the concept is what we don't do anymore. We don't just have conversations with people where there's not an agenda. Right? It's like meeting a stranger in a parking lot or something and then like, hey, you want to have coffee? <laughs> yes. Oh, so how are you doing? How's your day? <laughs> exactly. Well, we are live here with Coffee with Humans with my soon-to-be new friend, Christina. She's still actually a stranger. I only met her about eight minutes ago. That's the essence of Coffee with Humans. Two people just bumping into each other randomly and saying, hey, let's grab coffee. Before we got on the broadcast, I was thinking if we could have this discussion anywhere, where would that be? And I came up with we, we could be sitting in Iceland in a hot spring. <sighs> Lovely. So if you could have this discussion anywhere, where would it be for you? Love this question. I'm stumped right now. I'm not really a uh, beach person in terms of getting in with the aquatic life, but I do like to be near it and feel the breeze from it. Yeah. And so anywhere by a beach. What drew you to clicking the button to have coffee with me? was searching and I found this one and it grabbed me. It pulled me in and it just seemed your podcast and Coffee with Humans seemed very welcoming that you were really eager and enjoyed just making meaningful connections. Coffee with Humans is like Sunday brunch. <laughs> I love Sunday brunch. <laughs> okay, good. Because, well, you're in the right place. Only sure. there's no food. Um <laughs> We're live here with Coffee with Humans and my new friend, Rick. Welcome hey. to Coffee with Humans, Rick. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I've uh, been looking forward to this That's all awesome. month. Yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I think the first question I'd like to start with, uh, and obviously this is, a, this is a dialogue. So if you've got questions back, we're just going to sit down and like, have coffee. It was live in a virtual coffee chat. Uh, and I have my coffee. I don't know what you're drinking, but you don't have to be drinking anything. A full throttle. Full throttle. Oh, man. There's a long story and connection behind why I choose that, but we can get into that if you want. All right. Well, I've, I've got coffee. Uh, for my, I'm, my, my curiosity is peaked here. Why did you uh, click to the, have the, why'd you click the button to have coffee with me? Like what inspired you? Um, just the overall concept, I think, is what really grabbed me at first. But I had started this journey that I'm on right now. And part of that is kind of recounting the things that I've been through. And I was going to, and I'm still in the process of writing down stories and stuff that I remember to eventually put together as a book or a collection of my stories. But I decided that I would try to do a podcast that would be an easier way for me to sporadically get all of that content out because there's so much of it. And then just a quick Google search brought me to the podcast search. I saw one of yours, uh, your podcast was one of the first ones I came across. And just the idea is what resonated to sit down and just talk to somebody that has absolutely no idea who I am <laughs> and just share a little bit about who I am and learn a little bit about who they are. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're here. So you've, you've, it seems like you've got quite the podcast set up there. You've got a microphone and the, I think it's a set of green screen behind you as well. Uh, yeah, it's actually, it, I apologize for the camera quality. I wasn't able to, we were talking about that. I wasn't able to get the GoPro set up as my webcam because of its, later modelness than the most recent one but yeah i've got a, a green screen studio set up in the back that i do some filming projects with and then i have my recently set up podcast in the front so i can do all this and film something turn right around put it in the computer and edit it so i don't have any excuse or any time to lose focus Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's important. Having filming it and then editing it and then releasing it probably is a kind of a process that you you don't want to get too detached from itself or you if do you find that it's difficult to come back and then do the edits and if if you don't just do them right away? Um sometimes sometimes it's better for me to kind of let it sit for a minute and think about it or play around with it, leave it down, go do something else, come back to it. But for the most part it's for me, it's better to have a kind of conveyor belt style process just uh, down the line because I have ADHD and I've been figuring out more of my 
um, shortcomings because of that and trying to counter them. Okay. So, so you figured out your working style then, or are figuring out your working style and how to work, how to work with how your mind functions and how your body functions, your energy levels to be able to, uh, be able to use that to your advantage. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. It's trying to like harness it, I guess. Yeah. Or at least mitigate it. Sure. Well, I think any strength gone awry, you know, becomes an impediment. So maybe, you know, maybe due to the way your mind works, there are certain strengths that you are, are uh, certain strengths that you have that maybe other folks don't have. And then, and then there's kind of a, an impediment that goes along with that. They talk about this for artists, that a lot of artists who have pushed the envelope and really done original creative works uh, also struggle with, with the, um, kind of this, this need, like an, in, like an internal need to do something different and, and to do something more and it's never good enough. And, and almost they, they, they fight this battle internally, but that's their, that also is their drive to go off and create some of the, you know, some of the great things that we've seen around the world and through the years. So. I can, I can definitely, you know, understand that feeling and the need to not so much the the need to create something different but the feeling of something different in me and the needing to find the the right the correct medium to pull it out yeah. and to allow it to become something and that's what my struggle has been as far as figuring out what my voice is i guess well so the feeling i get here the atmosphere is sort of you're drinking the full throttle which is yeah which is uh, an energy drink, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I got to, uh, you know, got to get the adrenaline rush somewhere, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and and when you when you when you about to sign up, there's a couple questions that are asked, and one of them is: Is there something in particular on your mind? And you talked about PTSD and ketamine and and uh, using using that in terms of uh, treatment for PTSD and depression and uh, and so we kind of have a somber tone here and, and it's timely as well. Uh, there was recently a shooting, uh, here in my city, uh, where I'm in Rockford, Illinois, about 60 miles or so west. Oh yeah. I just heard about that. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's made national news. Just, uh, some, uh, troubled individual. It sounds like from a resident of Florida came up and in a, in a bar, you know, randomly shot a couple folks. Uh, three of them, three of whom have passed, and then three who are you know, injured, and and hopefully making recoveries. But one of the things that came out in that uh, is he, he, he was in the military and might be suffering from PTSD, um, and so there's a mental health evaluation, and it's and it and it clicks in my mind that you know this is a timely discussion to be having because there are certain things that people struggle with that are complicated, they're complex, they are misunderstood, certainly not well understood by, by um, many times the closest people in a person's life. And uh, it can become, you know, it can become a real problem. So where, where in your journey, you know, the fact that you, you're, you're thinking about PTSD and ketamine and what, what's it all mean to you? Where are you at in this? So, so with, on the topic of uh, PTSD, I believe, and that's what I've been working on myself internally is at first I had to accept that, that label, that diagnosis, because I didn't want to. That was something that I didn't see. I saw as a hindrance as me not being enough but that also ties into a lot of my past history with my childhood and my father who was emotionally and mentally abusive and the amount of trauma that I was exposed to as a child which was you know I've witnessed my father uh, try to commit suicide a couple of times that didn't work out but it was still witnessed by me so that in all of that, I feel programmed me in a way that 
I could internalize things better. But no matter how much you hold on to something, it's it's still going to affect you no matter how much you try to remove yourself from that experience. It's always going to be a part of who you are and how you think. And uh, so the best way I can describe it, so let's say that I make a run at a restaurant and there's somebody who is dead and I have to deal with that and do my job. But now that I'm, you know, the job's over, but now it is ingrained in my thought process and how I think that I have to think about that dead person anytime that I think about the the restaurant. So no matter the context, that's the, the path. My thought has to go through the dead guy at that restaurant. And for our well, viewers and listeners, you're a, you're a paramedic? Is that um, I, was a paramedic okay. I was a paramedic for six years and an EMT for six years before that. Okay. So, yeah, so in the context of, yeah, making a run as a – so I make that run, and that's something now that is forever ingrained. So you take a 12 years of collecting, you know, those kind of experiences. You can't think about anything else without having an intrusive, a negative intrusive thought mm. ever. And that's what the ketamine had helped me with. And mm. I don't want to pitch it as a cure-all or a magic – you know, it'll help everybody how it has helped me. It's really pertains to the individual, but I would assume that the level of effects that and improvements that I've had from it, I think that it would greatly benefit. And also, I think that a lot of my friends and other people's friends, relatives, people who have been suffering from PTSD, who have not been able to get relief from standard treatments over the, or, you know, prescription medications and stuff like that. And so it's just, it's become something that I've decided that I wanted to, to kind of shoulder and carry and help get the word out and help those that need it, get that kind of therapy. Okay. So the context of all this is you spent 12 years as a, as a paramedic and EMT, you're going on these runs, you, uh, as you call them, to scenes uh, to help people. And right. sometimes, you know, people are in distress and sometimes people have passed. And as you saw, as you talk about it, those memories become ingrained in you, they become part of your psyche. And then, so we've got that, we've got that experiential component of your life. And then the therapy component is next, which is then what do we do about that? How do we mitigate some of these side effects? How do I, how do I process the the thoughts? And then what can I do or what can I take to facilitate processing those thoughts so that they can become the negative effects can become minimized. Is that, is that the continuum? Yeah, that's, that's basically, I'm in the, the therapeutic stage of mm-hmm. my PTSD and the, the stage of kind of figuring out where it stems from and how it is currently and has been affecting me in my personal life, my relationships. And there's been a lot that has came out that has been a lot of hard truths about me that I've had to accept. Sure. But doing that kind of lessens the the impact the more that I, I'm doing it. So it's more of a, like a muscle memory that it's not, I'm not becoming numb to it, but it's becoming less of a driving force in my mm-hmm. overall, my mood, my mentation, how I interact with the world. Okay. Why do you want to talk about this? Uh, what's, what's driving that? I know that it was such a difficult thing for me to come to terms with and for me to understand and I'm still working on it. I'm going to have years from now that I'm mm-hmm. going to be working on this. And if I can collect information or if I can find what's, you know, what's going on with me and then put that out there for other people to be able to see and interact with, maybe that will help them figure out what is troubling them, what has been holding on to them their whole lives. So it's more of a, trying to create a community of understanding and maybe even some roadmaps to 
getting to this point, but obviously it's everybody's different, so it's not going to be everybody's going to be able to follow this the way that I'm going, but just knowing that they're not alone and right. that there's somebody out there that has made it past where they are or they can look and be like, oh, I remember when I was there, and then they can interact with the with me or share what they want to, what they think that other people suffering need to know. Gotcha. So this is this is kind of near and dear to your heart, and it sounds like part of your journey of processing your own experience is is processing it openly for the benefit of not only yourself, but for others. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So a lot of our listeners, uh, and me included, you know, we don't have firsthand experience in in traumatic situations that would that I think would be classified as some sort of uh, some sort of de- debilitating level of PTSD. I think some of us, we all, we all get, uh, in ha- maybe habitual responses to, to, you know, negative habitual responses to things that we don't, you know, we don't like somebody talks bad or, you know, so somebody snapped at us was we were a kid or something like that. And, you know, and then, you know, we got to process through, you know, well, dad wasn't, dad wasn't angry. He was just tired, you know? And so he yeah. was angry at me and, and, we have a negative habitual response, but it's not debilitating and it's something that we can process through, but it sounds to me like PTSD and, and I'd, I'd love it if you could unpack for some of our viewers and listeners, the, what is this experience like? Because we don't have firsthand knowledge of it. We don't actually know you, you can, uh, it's like watching a movie, right? Yeah. So, uh, uh, so it's external to us. Um, so that, that question itself is is very difficult to unpack because I'm not I'm not sure if I've ever lived without PTSD and that's kind of the right now what I'm digging into because mm. my first traumatic experience was probably around the age of 4 or 5 mm. um one of my dad's friends for whatever reason had you know busted into our house and it was me my dad and my dad's friend and held us all at knife point and was arguing I didn't I don't remember it was I just remember the the fact that my dad's friend was on the couch with me and he had ran to the other room so he had got up and left me by myself on the couch so there was nobody between me and the guy with the knife that was on the other side of the couch so I get up to go run into the other room and as soon as I move he looks at me and he says, don't you fucking move or I'll gut you like a fish. And that's a memory that has been ingrained in me since the age of, you know, four or five, 91 maybe. And that, you know, made I at that point I had tried to be as small as possible and to curl up in the corner of the couch. Mm-hmm. The My dad had ended up taking a rifle and hitting him with it cops came handcuffed him took him out and it was a really big ordeal but that was the my introduction to trauma so to speak and that's in the time of life when our relationships are being formed how people interact with one another uh it's those pathways are being set down in in our in our in ourselves and we don't even realize it's just happening automatically you know, what does the word care mean? What does the word love mean? What does the word safety mean? And how is that expressed? And so it sounds to me like is as an early, you know, as a young child, you're going through some experiences that are laying down these pathways uh, that are the kind of foundational. Your understanding of relationships is being set. You know, your understanding of a friend, you know, you said it, you know, one of your dad's friends comes by. Yeah your understanding of friend is that at some point in time, somebody might become so unsafe to you that they would, they would attempt to, you know, take your life. Yeah. Um, that, that's one of the the things that I had struggled with and not so much on a conscious level, but I believe that now that I've taken the ketamine, I've done my six rounds. So it's, you do six infusions that are about 45 minutes each over the span of three weeks and then you do boosters after that okay so i'm getting ready to do my second booster which is 
to keep main, to help maintain the therapeutic level of ketamine. Okay. But what that had done for me was it reset the way that I that I think and it eliminated all of those extra pathways and stops along the way that the trauma had created throughout my life. So it, it, it basically it got rid of a lot of clutter and allowed me to see reality, so to speak, and not filter through my perception or how my the trauma has warped the way that I interpret the world. So at that point, everything changed the mm. way that I saw everything. And I was able to, my memory of things had gotten better and I was able to recall things and I'm still doing that. I'm still categorizing all these memories over again with this new mindset or this new outlook. So from your understanding of this experience and your journey, you have uh, pathways, let's say, that are laid down beginning at a young age that inform your reality and your responses to reality. Uh, and then you go through therapy and take take a drug, ketamine, which then what does what does that do? Does that short circuit those pathways and allow you to form new pathways? Um, so the specifics are a little bit kind of foggy. I, I'm not really sure as well. I've read up about it, but there it's it works about the connections between the synapses and your brain and how I think how they travel maybe. I'm not I'm mm -hmm. not really versed on that. Whenever I've used ketamine in the field as a paramedic, it's always been to sedate somebody mm -hmm. before I paralyze them. So I've never really had to look into the effects on that. But there is a lot of research online that has been showing that it helps to reset the neural pathways and, and the the way that the, I guess, the electricity goes through. Mm -hmm. And it, and. And obviously we're not, we're not, uh, I feel like I need to make some sort of disclaimer here, right? There's no, yeah. uh, nobody's offering, uh, uh, medical advice no, here no, no, no. or something somebody should be doing. Obviously all of these, any sort of therapy in terms of PTSD should be done, uh, with the advice and, and guidance of a therapist or someone licensed. Oh, in yeah. That. I went through my primary care doctor. Well, I contacted the infusion clinic and then they were able to gained my record from my primary care doctor and it's all been a process. So it's not, yeah. I'm not saying it's done in like a back alley somewhere where some guy's <laughs> like, Hey, 30 bucks. <laughs> right. <It's>, Absolutely. <laughs> but these are, these are, it's, it's one of, it's my understanding. It's one of the treatments. There are other treatments that are being researched, but it is one of the treatments that are, that are available that uh, allows the brain to rest almost for a moment and start creating new pathways instead of going to trauma to a trauma response. Uh, it allows, it allows you to just develop a kind of an, uh, takes the edge off. It doesn't have to go to trauma instead. It can go to thought and, uh, and using that thought, using the power of just being able to think it through then. So, uh, some level of reasoning comes back out. And then that reasoning then says, okay, well, I'm not, because I'm not in this traumatic situation anymore. I have this traumatic memory, but I'm not in a traumatic situation anymore. I don't have to respond traumatically to it. Now I can respond in a safe manner for me. And re, and it almost allows you to regain control is my understanding of, of your responses. Yeah, absolutely. It's so it, like I, I was talking about the intrusive thoughts. Yeah. So what happens is, is I will have an intrusive thought and then that will trigger a trauma response or it'll trigger my fight or flight. And then that will then cause me to become more aware, situational aware. So I start to look out and see far more than is actually there, which <clears throat> causes me and my anxiety to get my anxiety to heighten. <clears throat> and then my it just bombards my ability to reason with the situation at that point. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing I can do to pull myself back because everything has become a trigger then. Right. So basically your body becomes, or your mind becomes overloaded or maybe both become overloaded with 
uh, the that pathway again of a tra- of a trauma response, which then in prevents you from reasoning through the situation, and then that becomes a cascading effect down into into what where where does that go usually for person or for would, you rather? I would try to explain it, it. Try imagine living your everyday life, but inside of a haunted house. Like that's sometimes how it feels because. I had my anxiety, so I'm always on edge, always in this moment of preparedness to run or to fight. Mm. And then that will, you can't even begin to communicate with somebody when you are in that. You can only take in so much before you have, you're making a decision, you're making, you're determining an outcome prior to anything just based off of what you're seeing at the moment because you're once again you're in that heightened sense and you're ready to make a move so you're trying to be 100 percent prepared for anything that's going to come at you mm-hmm. and you it's just it it's wearing it's tiresome yeah um it has a lot of negative health effects as far as digestive system I've had a really bad acid reflux. Um, I've had, you know, vomiting spells just from anxiety. Mm-hmm. And now, just now, I'm kind of, I can feel it bubbling up just thinking about it and talking about it. But sure. after the ketamine treatments, they, it gives me that control back because it doesn't allow those intrusive thoughts to escalate things anymore. Yeah. And my reasoning can come in and say, this is not a situation where we need this. Yeah. And it's over. Like right now, I'm, I'm back to being just fine. Yeah. Well, I, I love the analogy of, of a haunted house. It's why I hate haunted houses, um, because I don't feel I don't want to walk through a dark corridor waiting for something to come out and scare me. It just there's no joy in that. It's, it doesn't excite me. I don't need the energy lift in me. Uh, and I can feel it. There's a book called the body keeps the score. If you, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read that. No, um, I don't think so. The body keeps the score. I cannot, I don't remember exactly who, who wrote it. Uh, but the, the principle behind the, behind it is that the, the things that have happened in our lives, uh, uh traumatic experiences, memories, things that we didn't ask for circumstances beyond our control, uh, our body, each cell internalizes those and, and we become, we become programmed. Like you, you mentioned that, you know, you said that word earlier, you become programmed to just go down a certain path and your and, and your body becomes prepared for those experiences. And when you're no longer in those experiences, the body still is holding on to it. And there's, there are treatments now. And, and it sounds like, you know, you're, you're in one that, uh, short circuit that those habits, those, th- those, the programming in the body, uh, and over time, then there are certain elements that can be either mitigated or go away, uh, because the body can refresh itself over time, but it takes time. It takes thought. It takes control. It takes, uh, maybe give getting, getting oneself into a situation that is safe and then staying there. Uh, and then, and I think I, it's, I don't know, it's my experience that many times we, we need to talk through our issues with somebody else. We need to get them out of our mouth, uh, to allow ourselves even to process it. And certainly it seems that, um, it seems that when we, when we experience uh, things that we think nobody else is experiencing. As soon as we start voicing them, we find that there are actually others all around us. And they're, and they're like, Oh my God, I'm glad somebody said something because I was so afraid to say anything about it. Is that what kind of experience have you put out there? Or if you discovered as you started talking about this, what, you know, are you, do you feel like you're alone in the universe or what's no, coming like, back so at you? It's, it's funny you should say that. So I've done, a few different interviews kind of about um, PTSD and my life and EMS and stuff like that. And I've always, I've gotten a lot of good, really good positive feedback and a lot of people that are like, Hey, I know what you're talking about. Like, this is, 
This is something that I have experienced as well. And most recently, so I had a, a thing that I do. So I'll go on to ask Reddit sometimes and just go through the questions and I'll find one that particularly interests me. And I'll just write a random story from my life about like that pertains to whatever the question is. And the other day, somebody had wrote about people being left-handed and what hand do you wipe with was the question. And I've always identified myself as being left-handed, but it turns out I'm actually not left-handed. What? I am. <laughs> you thought you were left-handed, now you found out that you're right-handed? Yeah. All right, so I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? Okay. All right, which, which hand do you write with? My right hand. Okay. Which leg do you kick a ball with? My right leg. Your right leg. What's your dominant eye? Mm. If you don't know, you can take and make a circle like this and hold it out. Yeah. All right. So target an object with that. Like, so off in the distance, just find something and put okay. there. All right. Now close one eye at a time. And whichever eye you can see, whatever you were trying to put your finger around, is your dominant uh -huh. eye. Oh, okay. So it's my left eye. My left eye is my dominant eye. See, so that is in line with a normal developed brain. Okay. So mine, I write with my left hand and okay. I throw with my left hand. I start IVs with my right hand. As well as, let's see what else I do. I smoke with my right hand. So if I, whenever I smoke cigarettes, I would smoke with my right hand. Okay. I kick with my right leg, and my dominant eye is my right eye. So I, it's what it's called is mixed dominance. Okay. Which means that at some point in my brain development, there was a impairment between the communication between my left and my right side. So there was never a side that was definitively um, determined to be the dominant. Okay. Which had led me to be, I had to, I have to figure out what is the most comfortable way, hand or whatever to do something. Mm -hmm. Anytime I do anything new, I have to, experience that and figure it out before I determine which. So which your body doesn't just naturally go to a particular side. Like if I, so for instance, I'm on a bowling league um, and I'm not a super great bowler, but there was no way I, I could not even imagine trying to bowl with my left hand. See, it would never, there was never a question. <laughs> I would always I, bowl with my right. I can't bowl with my left hand. I have to bowl with my right hand. Okay. But I write, left-handed but now there would never be a question like if i was going to start doing something there would never be a question in my mind like maybe i should do it with my left hand the answer is no <laughs> I, I favor my left hand but okay. there's a lot of things that i just i don't do i can't use scissors with my left hand but i think that is probably most left-handed people seeing as we try. live in a right-handed world Sometimes, so I, so I, I've got little nail clippers. I can use my left hand with that, but I'm, but my, my right hand is more, uh, has better fine motor control, which I wonder if that learn is that a learned thing oh, or is it a, uh, we should probably have some developmental psychologist yeah. on here, but oh yeah, I'm, I've, I'm, <laughs> I wonder if it's a learned thing or if it's a, uh, just kind of, uh, if that's the way we're programmed, <laughs> you know, well, from I birth, can... I don't know. I can use chopsticks with both hands. What? Yeah. You can? Yeah. You're top, you're a chopstick ambidextrous? Yes. Crazy. I no, my left hand would never make chopstick would it it nope. It's not going to happen. So, I found that out because I was like, man, I'm really tired of eating with chopsticks with my left hand, so I just picked them up with my right hand and it took a little it took a, a few tries, but it was probably 2 or 3 minutes and I was able to proficiently eat with them what kind of superhuman strengths do you get then i think we all because i think i think anything that is um uh anything that's kind of out of the ordinary and i don't even know what percentage of this is out of the ordinary but i mean it's your normal 18%. right 
18%. Okay. So anything that's out of the ordinary can also be seen as a strength or, or allows you to do certain things in your, in your opinion, what have you found that is makes uh, that is superhuman about that? So it's more, it's not even really about what, as far as like what I can do with what hand, but how my brain actually works because the disconnect between the hemispheres. So you're, I'm going to probably get this wrong. So look, I, w- I would suggest anybody to look anything that you hear up, but there. <laughs> so the say it confidently though. People believe you. Yeah. So the right side <laughs> of the brain is the creative and more free. And then the left side is the more logical and reasonable or like reasoning side of the brain. And they control the opposite sides of the body. So the right side controls the left and the left controls the right. And with that disconnect, you will have what is called functional um, disconnection syndrome, which means that you're having one side of your brain or other develop or mature faster than the other. So they can't communicate because of that, which results in... Uh, things like ADHD, dyslexia, which I've both been diagnosed with, mild mm. dyslexia that doesn't really affect me much anymore. But early on, I think 91, 92. So that is, and so, and then I lost track. <laughs> it's a lot going on. So with that being said, both halves of my brain are trying to intake information and then process it at the same time. So I'm able to intake a lot of information. It just takes me a little while to process through it. Mm. It takes me longer. And as well, I don't process things in the same way that somebody who didn't have that would be, would process it. Gotcha. I did a quick internet search. Uh, Functional disconnect disconnection syndrome is where the right and left hemispheres of the brain are developing at different rates. Due to this difference in maturation, the brain is unable to connect, communicate, and share information appropriately. That's from Carolina Brain Center. So it sounds it sounds that it sounds to me that the the brain needs to process kind of with a dominance. There, there's got to be some some side that's kind of in charge, and when both sides are in charge, there's confusion about what to do and how to do it, which then causes a delay sometimes in producing the desired results. Um, that's my, right. That's my layman's view of view of this. Have you found, have you found or have you researched or what's your experience in that leading to how's that connected to your, your processing the world and PTSD and how you're in your therapies for moving through that. So with that, and that's just something that I've kind of I haven't I'm in the process of getting into a psychiatrist and having this properly diagnosed. Mm-hmm. But through my research and what I have learned through throughout this, it has a lot to do with kind of it doesn't maybe not so much of causing it, but it definitely enables it and creates kind of potentiates mm-hmm. the PTSD because it comes with intrusive or impulsive behavior, ADHD, um, inability to focus, as well as um, being able to process. Because if you're, if there's not a dominant side, you don't have a dominant hemisphere, which one is dominant and then it will, the other one will go into a more supporting role or more of a processing role. Mm-hmm when you don't have one side that is working on processing and the other side that is working on intake, all intake, and it's going to be, you're not going to process it. Each side does not process it in the same manner. So you have conflicting feelings and all kinds of signals that are converging in one area that has to be sorted out. So organization is out the window as well. Mm because it's more difficult to think through those things. It's more difficult to think through those things and it's more difficult to 
to even have the attention span to focus on that long mm -hmm. enough to deal with it. So what what have you done? Um, what have you done to mitigate the effects of that? And how do you, what changes have you made in your life that enable you to function at a high level? At this point, I, that's where I'm at right now because I don't even have this as an official diagnosis. And this is something that I've recently been made aware of. So I'm in the research phase of trying to figure out how it has affected me and where I can work harder at to mitigate that, which is something that I'm slowly figuring out. For example, like one of the things is that there's, they say that it usually comes with learning disabilities, mm -hmm. which I was in, I had trouble with spelling in school. And because of that, I had to do spelling and reading and like writing, reading and spelling. But the spelling was my only issue. Okay. I was reading Stephen King novels by fifth grade. Okay. And then I wouldn't be able, I, I wasn't able to, the way that I learned wasn't conducive to the way that the school system was teaching because mm -hmm. I've never had an issue whenever it was something that I needed to learn on my own. Like, for example, I went through paramedic and EMT class. I graduated as a paramedic with honors with a 94 average, wow. like the third highest in the class. So it's never been, I've never had an issue learning. It's always been about how I was being taught. Okay. Interesting. It seems that, you know, each of us deals with something. None of us, none, none of us you know, develops, uh, in a, some sort of perfect, uh, panacea of, of, uh, uh, I don't know, not, not having something that we need to overcome or something that we need to deal with. But there is, a, like you say, there's, you know, 18% of the population, you know, based on your, based on your research deals with, you know, this, this issue that, uh, maybe only comes to light or maybe is exasperated by circumstances. You know, you've, some people may not even know they have it necessarily because they also didn't have situations from an early age that overlaid trauma, uh, and then made it, you know, made, made your life and your experience more difficult to piece together. And, um, I don't know what term to use, survive maybe or move through. Um, you, you became a paramedic in the midst of all this stuff. What's that about? Why did you become a paramedic? It seems like that that's going to thrusting you right into, you know, into challenging situations. Yeah. I think that it was more, it was a way for me to still have that chaos and that uncertainty for my childhood. And that's, where I felt comfortable. Mm. So that's probably why I was drawn to that profession because it fulfilled a certain amount of required adrenaline that I yeah. needed. Right. That just from the childhood and being traumatic situations, I was always kind of, and before, I mean, in my teenage years, I skateboarded. And then I was, uh, I contracted overseas. So it's, it's kind of been a, a running thread in my life. And I guess I felt that if I could do it, why not? Like somebody's mm -hmm. got to. I think that's really, I think that's a really insightful point that you make of whatever we grow up with, we tend to normalize. And, and so if we grew up in a, you know, loud, chaotic environment, uh, or in your case, you know, a, a challenging traumatic environment, a little bit of chaos, as you said, uh, things that are not that feel abnormal. Uh, whereas if you grew up in an environment where everything's so peaceful and quiet and the lights are turned down low, everything that's not that is abnormal. And so we want to return. We need to kind of go back to uh, 
uh, or feel a need to go back to those our normal. Uh, so we don't feel like it's abnormal. And even, even though somebody else would look at that and go, that's, that's not normal. Um, no. that's chaotic. Why would you want to live in chaos? Well, if that's the only thing, you know, and that's the thing you need, you know, that, like you say, maybe it required or it fulfilled a requirement for a certain amount of adrenaline that you needed to be able to function. Yeah. It was, I can equate it to just like a drug addict mm. because adrenaline, I mean, it's considered, you know, a drug and there's people that, mm. I mean, that's, there's a whole industry based off adrenaline junkies, you know? And I just was, I was 23. I had no direction. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was just in a really low spot. And I had just out of happenstance, I had come across a couple of firefighters and I started talking to them and they had given me the information to get into EMT class. And I was mm -hmm. maybe uh, two months later, I was in an EMT class. Wow. Kind of a snap decision. <laughs> yeah. I, that's usually most of my decisions in my life have been impulsive. And are you looking to change is. any of that? Are you at a point where you're changing things or, for yourself or are you just, are you, um, are you okay with the way you process where you at? Well, I currently, yes, I'm working on how I, I process things and trying to understand not so much how, but more on the organization side of things to, so I can be a little bit more efficient. <laughs> but as far as who I am and the way that I think and process things, it has always been a part of who I am. And the ketamine mm -hmm. didn't change that. It just gave me an easier time doing that. Mm. So it's not, I still have the same characteristics and the same, drive and ambitions and enjoys and the the treatments have just allowed me to enjoy them interesting well i want to honor your uh courage to tell your story and give it uh not everybody would not everybody would share i think the challenges that they have and the path that they've been on and the journey uh and yet it seems that anybody who's been on a great journey, the best thing that they can do is they can come back from that journey or, and show the pictures, you know, and say, Hey, this is, I, I've been there, been there, done that. And there's such, I think, value in living, living out your journey in some sort of openness to, uh, like you say, be, I think you made mention of it before, you know, this, as you share it, other people are like, Oh my gosh, you know, you, I, I'm not alone. You know, there's somebody else there who's, who's dealing with it. And then also I'm sure that you look to people, you know, who've been through, been through kind of the things, things you're going through. And then when they say it's going to, you know, it's going to be better, it's going to be different, or here's the things you can work on. Um, that's got to give you a bit of hope. I would think. It does. It gives me a great deal of hope. Yeah. And I've always been a very, optimistic person but i think as i've gotten older and the more experience that i had with the world i was i started identifying more as a pessimistic optimist so i would expect the worst but i would be optimistic about it okay like <laughs> the world shit everybody dies there's worse things that could happen <laughs> okay and it's yeah uh, it's just part of the bravado that I had built up over yeah. the years to kind of survive what I've been through and to mm -hmm. not allow that to shine, not allow that to show any weakness in me. Yeah. So it's always been like, I always had to pretend that I was better or I was stronger. Yeah. I don't think you're unique in that. You just no. expressed it and that your experiences were, were perhaps different than some others, but everybody I think goes through that point or, and of feeling like I have, I have got to project a certain image to the world. Uh, and then we all have the opportunity to, to say, no, I'm not fighting that battle anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's too yeah. exhausting. So in our, in our final moments here, what do you want people to know? 
if you could encapsulate all of this, all of your experiences and where you're at, and I know you're building a not-for-profit as well, what do you want people to know? I just, I want people to know that there are things about us and that we can never even imagine how how much that they affect us in our everyday lives because mm-hmm. we just, it's just not anything that we have been able to see. So I think just taking the time to evaluate yourself and your surroundings and and how you are feeling honestly with yourself, I think, is the best thing that we can do right now, especially in this time that everything is just absolute chaos, is to make sure that we are okay. And by doing that, we are ensuring that we can make sure that everybody else is okay and the ones that we love and care about are okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm going out on a limb here, making the assumption that if somebody wanted to contact you, you'd be okay with having a follow-up discussion with them. How Absolutely. do they get? How do they get in contact with you? I'll put it up on the screen. Um, you can do out of service podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you can go to out of service PC on Instagram. And I think that's right. I've deactivated my Facebook for right now. That was been sure. a part about my my mental health journey is cutting out that. That's good. Probably. I, I know I've, you're, you're probably not alone in that. I've known people to be like, I'm piecing out of this thing. It's too I'm, much. <laughs> I've kind of slowly started going back and looking into it, but I'm, I haven't reactivated my status and I don't know yeah. if I'm going to. All right. Fair enough. Out of service podcast, gmail.com. Uh, this has been fantastic, Rick. I, Thank you. I really appreciate your, uh, your, your willingness um, to, to tell your story. Um, I think it's important and it's not a thing that a lot I think a lot of people don't understand. And I think if we understood it better, we had more conversations about it, then we'd be better for each other. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I appreciate you being able to, to give me the opportunity to come on here and and tell just, you know, to give you an idea of my story and to share it with you and your listeners. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Well, viewers, uh, listeners, thanks for joining us on this podcast. Uh, Go to outofservicepodcast.gmail.com if you want to follow up with Rick. Thank you. One of the things I love about Coffee with Humans are the raw conversations I get to have meeting new people just like you. If you or someone you know should be on Coffee with Humans, go to coffeewithhumans.com. Remember, the only rule is no sales calls. This has been Coffee with Humans. Subscribe to get updates or click to have coffee with me. Coffeewithhumans.com.